0: Welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. August is often referred to as being the silly season, the dump season where all the stuff that isn't so important of the rest of the year kind of gets put out. The season when we take a break from work, the month in which we get ready for September by stepping back. Well, at least that's what it was like when many people were going into offices every day. But, of course, now we're all at home. It's very difficult to get a sense of the seasons. It's also the case, of course, because we're not travelling as much as we previously were. I've recently come across a few stories that are definitely not appropriate for a silly season. In fact, they're deadly serious. I recently saw some of Steve McCurry's portraits of injured Afghans at a time when the Taliban is sweeping across the country, taking over one city and district after another. The images were obviously post-produced, but any follower of the controversy around Steve McCurry's use of post-production techniques will not be surprised there. They had a sense of theatrical makeup and a hyper-realistic cinematic aesthetic. In short, they looked fake, and therefore deeply disrespectful to the people in the images and the situation they are facing. Recently in the New Yorker magazine, I read this. Earlier this year, rehearsal of anxiety was the centrepiece of Lim's Portfolio. Lim's the photographer, when she won the opening week photo folio review prize at the Recontre d'Aal Photography Festival. As a result, Lim's work will be shown as part of the main festival this coming summer, now. Compared to her series as a whole, Lim's single portraits are unusual in their ambiguity. Most of the photographs are more populated and manifestly staged. Starting in 2016, Lim spent three years photographing volunteers, 109 in total, at a variety of urban locations, including Seoul's Hangang Park City Hall Plaza and sites used for disaster preparedness training. In South Korea, civil defence exercises are carried out roughly twice a year. Lim's participants have been given fake wounds and are arranged to show how the moments following a nuclear strike from North Korea or a terrorist attack with a dirty bomb might unfold. Theoretically, seems to be one answer. The survivors look only superficially harmed, but their faces say something else. In Rehearsal of Anxiety, the performances are curiously static. Lim's volunteers are disposed in careful tableau, even though the imagined context is meant to be dire and chaotic. People cling to others in melodramatic poses. A girl presses her face into her father's chest as he looks towards the horizon, horrified. In Hangang Park, surrounded by real picnickers and their rented tents, groups of victims sprawl out at various angles or else limp out of frame, feebly supporting one another. In one picture, three middle-aged men lie collapsed on top of their bicycles. In another, one of these men, supine and with his eyes closed, is still clutching his SLR camera. In most of the photographs, plainly visible smoke machines supply staged atmosphere, while studio lights and diffusers surround the scene, their tripods adding a certain war of the worlds aspect. Well, that's what the journalist in The New Yorker says. We all know what a nuclear attack will mean, and after the recent anniversary of Hiroshima, many of us will have been reminded of the human devastation it caused to those who perished and those who survived. To see this, you could turn to two photo books published in Japan, the collection of Hiroshima atomic bomb photographs and the collection of Nagasaki atomic bomb photographs, both by Bensai Publishing, Inc., or well, you could turn to the photo book recently published, Flash of Light, Wall of Fire, in which 116 photos selected from the two definitive edition Japanese books have been compiled. I have no problem with staged narratives, but this work is being seen as journalism, when it is clearly not. It is fiction, and arguably fiction of the worst kind. In contrast, I saw an image in the past week that stopped me in my tracks, something that is difficult to do as the nature of viewing photographs for so many years can leave you jaded and cynical. You may have seen the image of a wailing woman dressed in black against a burnt orange sky and landscape in Greece, ravaged by forest fires. The image was created by photographer Konstantinos Tassakalidis. A photographer videographer based in Thessaloniki, northern Greece, and co founder of SOOC Images Photo Agency. If you haven't, I've posted it on the website page for this podcast. If you have, I'm guessing that will have had the same impact on you as it did on me. I have occasionally referenced my South London upbringing on this podcast in previous episodes. And I've also spoken about that importance of memory, of growing up, of those experiences as a child. And for me, that all happened in South London. To be more distinct, South West London. And to be even more accurate, Tooting. And to be even more accurate than that, Tooting Broadway. And I could go even further, but I won't. Well, There's no surprise in that case that when I saw the work of this week's contributor to What Does Photography Mean to You?, I made an instant connection with the work, but also the way in which that photographer was deriving the work and how they were seeing it. This was a photographer who was finding his subject matter on the streets of South London. He also goes to other areas of London as well. I'm not going to make sure or keep him confined to one area. But anyway, who is this? Well, it's Steve Reeves, who was born in Ilford, Essex, but has lived for most of his life in God's country. Of course, that's South London. He studied for a year at art school in the eastern end of London before securing a job at a large American advertising agency as a copywriter where he worked for several years before moving into film directing. He has directed several short films, commercials and a feature film titled Keeping Rosie starring the British actor Maxine Peake. Steve continues to work as a director, but has become interested in photography and documenting the diverse community around his home in South London with street portraits and accompanying interviews that celebrate the spirit and humanity of the strangers that he meets. His images are spontaneous, taken as soon as he meets the person he wishes to photograph, with the accompanying interviews written from brief notes taken while talking to and photographing the subject. Reeves says that these interviews are as important as the images themselves, and he hopes to produce and publish a book of these street portraits and those accompanying interviews. Firstly,
1: thanks so much, Grant, for asking me to do this. Your question is a really simple one, but it actually really made me think. So what does photography mean to me? To be honest, photography didn't mean a great deal to me at all until a few years ago. I enjoyed looking at photos, and I had a few photography books, but I didn't start taking pictures myself until 2018. That's when my wife bought me a camera, the only camera that I've ever had. A Fuji X100F. It's a small digital camera with a fixed 23mm lens, and to be honest, it completely changed my life. Every time I went out, I made a point of sticking the camera in my pocket, just in case I saw something interesting. Or just the act of having that camera on me made me look at the world in a completely different way. Before, I just rushed from A to B, listening to music on my headphones, and I couldn't tell you anything about the journey in between. But having the camera changed that, I slowed down and started looking, and I was surprised at how much cool stuff I saw. There's always some little drama unfolding on the street corners of London, sometimes funny, sometimes beautiful, fleeting little humor moments that occasionally, if I got really lucky, I've managed to capture. It was brilliant, Of course, it was mainly frustrating, infuriating, and so much harder than I ever thought it would be, but when it worked, and I got a half-decent, candid shot, it made my day. I just love the immediacy of it. I work as a film director. I direct short films and commercials, and this involves me collaborating with creative and uncreative people alike. Filmmaking is a team effort. This is great, but telling a story on film is a slow and laborious process. But with photography, it's just me and my battered little camera and I loved the fact that I could take a shot, edit it, and post it on Instagram within a matter of minutes. One day, I passed the hospital and saw a patient standing out front in the car park. She was in a dressing gown, smoking a cigarette, while attached to a saline drip. She took a drag on her ciggy and smoked below around the oxygen tube that went into her nose. I liked this ironic image and took a candid shot. I'm six foot five, so I always get caught when taking candid photos, and this woman spotted me immediately and called me over. She told me that her name was Hannah and that she was a 35-year-old mother of two. She also told me that she had incurable brain disease and had just three months to live. Whether she smoked a million fags or ran a hundred marathons, it made no difference. She was terminal. Despite this, we had quite a long chat, with a few laughs too. Hannah asked me if I'd take a shot of her and her mate. And when I got home, I looked at this shot, which was just a snap, alongside the candid one of her smoking, which aesthetically was a lot cooler, but now that I knew Hannah, felt quite disrespectful. To me, neither did justice to the conversation that we had, and for some reason, I felt compelled to write a bit about Hannah to go with the shot. It was this encounter that got me into taking street portraits, and it also got me interviewing and writing about the people that I photographed. To me, the words became as essential as the picture itself, and it's only when the two are combined, I feel satisfied that I've captured the essence of the interaction between myself and the subject. Talking with strangers on the street has been so rewarding to me. I've always been quite a cynical person, but photography has given me a whole new perspective on life. I've spoken to strangers that have had really tough lives, and some have revealed that they've had been through awful experiences. Yet despite this, they remain upbeat, optimistic, as they quietly go about their lives. I've learned a lot from these people. Most of my shots are taken close to where I live in South London. I've spoken to all sorts of people, and photography has really broadened my horizons. It's funny, because my job as a director takes me all over the world, but because of photography, I've got to know a more diverse and eclectic range of people than I ever have on my travels, all within a couple of miles of my home. Photography has been a way for me to talk to people that I never would have engaged with without my camera. It's opened up my life, and it's been a privilege for me to talk to and photograph the strangers that I've met. So from being something that I would occasionally enjoy looking at, photography has become something that has reshaped my view of the world and made me a much more optimistic person. And I'm incredibly grateful for that.
0: Thank you, Steve, for your contribution this week. If you're not aware of Steve's work, uh, the best place to find it, and I suppose in a way keep up with him, because he is constantly uh, posting images on his Instagram page, and it's very, very rewarding i think to um check out his work and to follow his progress and his journey just goes to show also you know sometimes people speak to me about how do you get onto the podcast and do you just have to be award-winning and famous and have been working with photography for many years and of course the answer is no steve's perfect example of that just a couple of years working with his camera i'm interested in people who are interesting and that their work is interesting, and they're kind of trying to do things which are very much about storytelling and visual storytelling. Not just the storytelling of the people they're photographing, but also themselves. There's that kind of internal connection, something we spoke about on previous podcasts. And talking about previous podcasts, I thought very interesting there, Steve picking up on that feeling of disrespect when trying to capture what he described as the candid or perhaps secret photograph. Michelle Watt spoke about that in a previous podcast in a very strong way. And actually, I was expecting a lot more people to get back to me about that, uh, those comments she made but nobody did, so maybe uh, maybe she was right on the money with those comments she was talking about, that need for respect. Over the last week, it's been a busy week, isn't it? A lot goes on. But over the last week, I was talking to somebody about photography and that emotional attachment to a subject matter and how do you find that next body of work, that next uh, story to tell if you don't have an emotional attachment with that work? Or how do you find that emotional attachment? The particular photographer has just completed a very, very successful body of work which was very close to them. And therefore, they were kind of concerned as to whether or not they needed to find the next body of work with a similar close connection. I suggested that, yeah, maybe, maybe they could do that. But actually, what would be more important for them would be to find a way of connecting personal work with commissioned work and finding some kind of a connection through the aesthetic and the emotional with both and trying to bring those two things together. Definitely in the past, there was very little space or opportunity to do that. But I think increasingly now, particularly with uh, fees and budgets dropping, like a stone off the Empire State Building. There's an opportunity there for the photographer to say, well, you know, you're not actually paying me very much money, so what I'd like to try and do is to take it in this direction. Perhaps that lack of budget and lack of fee gives an opportunity to the photographer to be a little bit stronger and a little bit more strident, perhaps, in how the finished image is going to be created. I'm often contacted by people looking for photographers as well as for me being the photographer. But I'm getting increasingly fed up with having to email back to brands and individuals and people who are asking me to advise them as to photographers they should be working with who don't have any budget and having to explain to them that if you don't have a budget for photography, I'm really sorry, but you're not really taking the The brand, the job, the situation that you want resolved seriously enough. The idea that photographers do have to be paid. Not only that, I'm finding that the old copyright licensing conversation is creeping up on me again. I've had it four times in the last week, trying to explain to people that you can license images, but you can't own those images and having to explain and use metaphors of other ways in which they buy products and services to explain that of being the photographer. It really comes down to a lack of education amongst those people who are commissioning photography or want photography, but don't have any understanding of what photography is, other than just a photograph to put in a box. Sad to have to have that conversation, but I'm always very polite. I'm always very accurate with my language, and I always try and make it seem as pleasant a conversation as possible, even if the person who's receiving the advice from me is getting advice that I either weren't expecting or particularly didn't want. Anyway, what's going on in the world at the moment? Everything seems to be crazy. I can't even keep up with what's happening in politics. COVID seems to be a situation that we're all dealing with in different ways, and I think many of us are going to have to accept that travel in particular is going to be held off for quite a bit longer yet, particularly from a work perspective, although I have heard stories of photographers travelling all around the world to try and get around problems of which country you're allowed to get into and when. Whatever happens, of course... The most important thing for all of us and the most important thing for us as people and as photographers and as families and with friends is always to just take care, look after yourself and do the sensible thing. Get a jab.